Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 10 of Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from Revelation 6 verses 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now we're moving on in our study of the book of Revelation. And this is the opening of the fifth seal. And we've already looked at the language of these souls that were under the altar. And we've seen that that has to do with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who the altar represents as the sacrificial animal would be slain and burnt upon the altar. The blood would be poured out on the altar. And therefore, if there were any under the altar, as the souls of these men are said to be, uh, as the Apostle John is given this vision, and he saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Obviously, these uh, individuals are saved. They are true men because they died as a result of holding on to the Bible, the word of God. They They died for the sake of God's word. So we know they're true believers. And and true believers um, here are said to be under the altar. We can just see that image of the sacrificial blood being poured on the altar and and then flowing down. And if anything was under the altar, the blood would uh, fall upon it. And and that's the picture. It's the atoning work of the Lord Jesus for the sake of those that he died for and his blood covers over their sin and washes it away. And so these men and women, they're, well, they're just souls now. They, they've left their physical bodies on the earth and they've gone to be with the Lord. As the Bible tells us, when a true believer dies at the moment of death, the soul, which is alive, it cannot die because God has given us a resurrected soul. That's the first resurrection, the resurrection of our heart and spirit. And and there is no sin in the soul. It's a perfectly pure and holy uh, new heart that God has uh, placed within the, the one that he has saved. And uh, the body is dead because of sin, because it's the old body, and there was no resurrection of the body as yet. That comes later. And therefore, the soul which continues to live goes to heaven to be with the Lord. And the body goes into the ground to await the day of the resurrection, which will happen on the last day 
the day when God destroys the earth, he will resurrect the bodies of all his saints and they will be joined together with the souls as those souls have been in heaven with the Lord. And now on that day, it's the time for the completion of God's salvation plan for the second resurrection, we could say, the resurrection of the body. And and so they receive a new resurrected spiritual body, according to 1 Corinthians 15, something beyond our ability to comprehend. We think of bodies in the sense of something physical, yet God refers to it as a spiritual body. It's a body equipped to... Uh, live in the new heaven and new earth, a body equipped to live forevermore, and a body equipped to live without pain or disease, without the effects of sin, like our physical bodies have uh, experienced the effects and the consequences of sin. And that's why they're seeing corruption and then finally die. Well, these uh, individuals, these people, they are God's elect. And um, in, in verse 11, the passage lets it be known that the souls under the altar should rest, it says in middle of the verse, rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And that means that these souls we're seeing under the altar are not all of the elect but a portion of the elect, and there's others that have to be killed as they were, and then that would be the whole, that would be the complete number of all those that God had chosen to salvation once their fellow servants are killed as they. Now we we read in Revelation chapter 20, very similar language in verse 4, where it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, again, this goes along with the verse in Revelation 6 and verse 9, their souls doesn't mention bodies and they're living and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And the thousand years is pointing to the completeness of what is in view and what is in view, but eternity. That's how long God's people live and reign with Christ. When a person becomes saved, we're lifted up into heavenly places but when a saved person dies, we go to be with the Lord. And these souls, they had their period of life on earth, and they uh, were triumphant. They were victorious through Christ. As God moved in them to will and do of his good pleasure, they lived their lives as a faithful witness for the Lord. And then they died, and they went to be with him. And notice it says that they did not worship the beast or his image. And and that's actually letting us know that they had their period of time on earth 
before the loosing of Satan, before he was loosed out of the bottomless pit, as the first three verses of Revelation 20 describe Satan being cast into the bottomless pit and and being bound for a thousand years. And that period of time has to do with the entire church age. And then when Satan is loosed at the end of the church age, which occurred May 21, 1988, the day before Pentecost, then Satan was loosed and took upon himself the title of beast. And in Revelation chapter 13, God describes the beast given authority in the church and the world during the Great Tribulation, the 23-year period that went from May 21, 1988 until May 21, 2011. And yet these souls, they they uh, really did not have to deal with that. They did not worship the beast, nor his image, nor anything to do with the beast. And then in verse 5 of Revelation 20, it says, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And, and here we have a similar group of believers that uh, likewise are coming after this other group. Just as in Revelation 6, there were fellow servants that would be killed as they. And here there's the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. And that means that the rest of the dead would live again or they would become saved during the time after the end of the church age, the time of the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is also identified as a little season, just as Revelation 6.11 says, they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we do see that God has two groups, two particular groups of elect in view. One group, the souls under the altar, are crying out, how long until you judge and avenge? And then another group that relates to the little season. And in Revelation 20, two groups souls beheaded for the witness of Jesus that did not have anything to do with the beast, and then the rest of the dead who will live again after the thousand years or during the time of the Great Tribulation. And and that's exactly what we'll find in Revelation chapter 7. Two groups are in view as the Lord refers to 12,000 being sealed of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 in all. And then in verse 9 of Revelation 7, he says, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number. Again, two groups, 144,000, which Revelation 14 refers to as the first fruits, as the 144,000 are mentioned there. And a great multitude, which no man can number. And it goes on to say in verse 13, the question is asked, whence came they, that great multitude? And verse 14 says, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, 
These are they which came out of great tribulation. Now, again, God is making a distinction. The first fruits identifies with the church age, with the Feast of Pentecost, as the the New Testament church age began on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD. We read of that in Acts chapter 2 and continued until the day before Pentecost in 1988, after 1955 years of the church age. And then another time period comes, the end of the church age, the time when judgment begins at the house of God, and and also known as the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is called a little season, It's identified as the time after the thousand years of Satan's binding in Revelation 20. And it's referred to here in Revelation 7 as Great Tribulation. We have these three uh, major um, witnesses of the Bible pointing to two groups that will become saved uh, overall in God's salvation program. The souls under the altar are the first group. They are those that are saved uh, during the church age primarily. Uh, That's at least the picture God is giving us. Of course, he saved saints in the Old Testament. But God's overall plan of evangelizing the world began in 33 AD. And uh, that's when the vast majority of people will become saved the number saved from the beginning of time until 33 AD is relatively small as we look at Israel's history it was only a small number here and there that were true believers that God saved but then on the day of Pentecost 3000 are saved in one day and and that uh, so to speak kicks off or it's the inaugural of the church age as God begins to send forth his gospel into the nations and even throughout the 1955 years many more were saved than in the Old Testament but still nothing in comparison to God's final plan when he would allow the population of the world to explode to billions of people to 7 billion or about 7 billion before the time he would end his salvation program and and he determined to save a great multitude out of the little season that came right before the judgment on all the world when he would finally shut the door to heaven and so we uh, we see reference to this overall plan of God's salvation here with the souls under the altar and then in verse 11 reference to their fellow servants now let's also look at Revelation chapter 18 because in our verse in in Revelation 6 10 the souls under the altar cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? The souls are crying out. Now, we're, we're not to think that um, there are the souls in heaven that are demanding vengeance 
constantly of God that that they're vindictively wanting retribution on those that had anything to do with their death. Uh, you know, God is just using this language to paint a picture to teach us that he remembers the blood of his people. That the blood of a child of God, when the life is in the blood, the lives of his people, that they surrendered, that they gave for the sake of the word of God, and whether they gave it um, actually physically, or whether they died spiritually, in ways that the Bible says um, people spiritually die, such as being driven out of the synagogue. God says that, that that's a form of killing. Or when men hate their fellow man, that's, that's also a form of killing. And certainly the people of the world, the unsaved, have hated the true believer. And they have separated him from their company. This has happened again and again and again. So if it were not um, spiritual killing through a church or a synagogue, driving out someone adhering faithfully to God's word, then it could be just the unsaved people of the world, even within one's own family, that uh, that moved away. They separated from that person. And in a sense, they hated that individual, even though, of course, it might be a mother or a father or a brother or a sister, and they would never even want to think that. But but in actuality, that's what happened. And and God takes note, and he, of course, has taken note of all the saints that have died through actual physical persecution and physical harm that has come to them by the wicked of the world. For instance, we read of Abel in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. And this is referring really to the blood of Abel. Let me say this another way, that God took note of the death of Abel. And and let's go back to Genesis 4, and uh, we'll read when Cain rose up and slew his brother. And it says in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And Jehovah said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And and here we see that Abel was killed and his blood was shed and God uses that figure to to say that the voice of Abel's blood cries unto him. And it's not actually crying unto him, but that's the picture that the Lord is using concerning the souls of them 
that were slain for the word of God as Abel was slain because he offered the acceptable sacrifice, which was that he didn't trust in the sacrifice he offered. He trusted in the one that the sacrifice pointed to, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And and Cain trusted in his work in offering the sacrifice. This is why First John says that Cain's works were evil while his brothers were righteous because Abel wasn't trusted in his own work, but trusting in the work of Christ on his behalf. And and so after Abel's death, after Cain rose up and slew his brother, God comes and says he hears the blood of Abel crying unto him, crying for, uh, well, crying as we read in Revelation 6, as it says in verse 10, they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth, crying for justice? God is just using the figure of these souls, crying unto him to teach us that the death of his saints did not go unnoticed that there is a requirement. The law of God demands justice for their sake. And and so God is using this figure. Now in Revelation 18, we read in the chapter describing the judgment that comes on Babylon, which is a type and figure of this world, of the kingdom of Satan. It says in verse 20, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy Apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And then the very last verse in verse 24, it says, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. God has brought judgment on the world. Well, actually, the judgment began at the house of God for the very same reason. Back in 1988, God began judging the churches and the blood of his prophets, his saints, had a lot to do with bringing judgment on the churches and congregations of the world. And God also is judging the world itself for the very same reason, for slaying his people, whether physically or spiritually. They are guilty of the blood of the children of God. We we read in Matthew chapter 23 something that relates to this and, and it's put in a very interesting way. In Matthew 23, it says in verse 32, Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, 
whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now, this is why uh, there are some theologians that say that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and that's what Matthew chapter 24 is describing, because Jesus said that the judgment must come upon this generation. And of course, they hear that with natural ears and natural understanding, and they think, well, obviously, it had to do with the generation alive at the time of Christ. Rather than searching the Bible and and looking up the word generation, and then we find there is reference to an evil and adulterous generation. It is a generation of evil and a generation that has been around since man's fall into sin, ushered in and and brought to pass evil into the world. And therefore, mankind has uh, entered into a generation of evil since that point. It says in Luke 16, in an, uh, another one of the Lord's parables, it says in verse 8, and this is the parable of the unjust steward, who who was commended it says in luke 16 verse 8 and the lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light see it's it's all one generation in god's sight it's the generation of evil the generation of an evil and adulterous a generation that seeketh after a sign, Christ would say when some would come tempting him, seeking a sign. It, it's why Luke 21 says, This generation shall not pass away until my words be fulfilled. It, it's not that particular generation alive at that time, as Luke 21 had to do with the end of the world. But it is the generation of sinful, wicked, evil mankind. Now, we're going to uh, take a look. We'll have to do it in our next Bible study at the statement that Christ made in Matthew 23, verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias. And uh, we're, we're going to try and understand this a little bit better. And also... We've been under a misconception thinking that Babylon represented the church only and God is judging the church and only the church for the blood of his people. If that's so, why does he refer back to Abel? Abel was born in the very beginning. Of course, he he was uh, born early on in Earth's history and there was no church. There was not even a nation of Israel. There was no corporate body of any kind, but God dealt with individuals. And uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll try to discuss that and understand that when we get together in our next Bible study.